This is Heat Check. It is late night, Wednesday night. We didn't do a show on Monday, and a lot happened. I'm Peyton Gallagher. Gabe Schwartz joins me from a dimly lit room that appears to be maybe underground Yashra basement somewhere in Kansas. Uh, he'll be back in the Valley on Sunday, but for now, we do this again virtually. We've gotten plenty of practice. I'm not too worried I think that the primary storyline this weekend in the sport game in college basketball has to be Baylor. We didn't get to talk about it. As I said earlier in the week, uh, they are unseated in Lawrence against Kansas. I picked Baylor. You picked, oh, vice versa. You picked Baylor. I definitely picked KU. Yes. And I was right. And you were wrong. Do you want to take your victory lap now? I think I am currently doing that, right? Yeah, I think you are. I think you absolutely are, and and rightfully so, because, like, you were correct about picking this game. It obviously didn't do what you thought it was going to for the game pick standings, although Villanova beating Creighton tonight um, got us tied. So congratulations to you. You've, you've summoned uh, Mount picks i guess i don't know what, what to call it um you're back even as we i mean it, we're gonna have our Wait, last did I, did I summit it or summon it i summoned the strength to climb mount picks did i say summon that was what i heard well you know nice you, you take a nice take an episode off and suddenly you get extremely extremely kind of like covid pause and they didn't look like Baylor against okay. Kansas. So this is this is the interesting thing because I wanted to get your thoughts on this. I know that are you in the camp that Baylor no pause goes to Lawrence and wins that game? Yes. Okay. Because I'm somewhat in that camp, but the dominance and the fact that it wasn't like Baylor kicking the ball around, like they only turned the ball over three times. The fact that Kansas played a different defensive identity, it was kind, it was almost a carbon copy of last year in the sense that like Baylor dominates the first first matchup. Bill Self makes an adjustment. Scott Drew doesn't adjust to the adjustment, and Kansas wins. I also thought it was funny because if we're gonna if we're just gonna group the whole Baylor experience of this past week into one thing. <laughs> I'm reading Twitter for 38-ish minutes of Baylor, West Virginia last night, and um, or Tuesday night, excuse me, for those who are listening to this on Thursday, which everyone will be. Um, and everyone's like, Baylor's still rusty. Baylor's still rusty. And meanwhile, it's like Jared Butler went from two of nine shooting, five yeah. points against Marcus Garrett, who I think that's the performance that gets him back on the – all like the all defensive first team in the, in the country along with like the, the guards, I think you should, it probably should be him, Davion Mitchell and Mark vital, like should be nationally on the all defensive team. Um, if that's, I don't even know if that's actually an award, whatever the case is, but Butler goes from five points on Saturday night to 25 on Tuesday Davion Mitchell goes clutch, clutch, clutch layup. They end up winning an OT and suddenly flip of the switch after 38 minutes where everybody's like, Baylor still looks rusty. Everyone's like, man, don't mess with Baylor. They're back. And I'm like, no, wait, 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 wait. wait." So, so if they were going to lose, they were going to get another pass for losing West Virginia. That's what it seems like most people. I'm not saying it's a pass. I'll speak my piece here. Okay. It's not a pass. Baylor is not what they were prior to the pause. At least that's not what they look like right now. They shot the ball well from the floor against West Virginia. They did not shoot it well against Kansas or Iowa State. And the big thing about this Baylor team was in addition to what they did on the defensive end of the floor, which was always extremely impressive um, dating back to last year in terms of their capability there. One of the best in the country one of the highest adjusted efficiencies in the Ken Palm era. 
to this year, the big jump was, okay, with Flagler in the mix and some of their other guys kind of taking a step forward, the shot making was on an unreal plane. And like you said against Kansas, they only turned the ball over three times in a game that they only scored 58 points in. What does that tell you? It tells you that they missed a lot of shots in that game. Yeah. So, I mean, you can attribute that partly to the defense that Kansas played, but, I mean, you've talked a lot about this. There is an element of regression in play that is exasperated by the fact that they, I think they were off for a long time. They were a team that was hitting a lot of shots, high-difficulty shots. They were one of the best high-difficulty shot-making teams in the country. And they were out for three weeks and didn't make or take those shots in games for that time, and they're struggling. The other part of this is is that Baylor didn't release who got COVID or players didn't get COVID or it was just coaches or what the extent of everything was. So we don't know who on that team is still working back from the side effects of this disease that by all accounts for athletes has been very difficult to try and overcome in their respective fields. So those are the the components I'm kind of looking at. But the question here is not about what Baylor looks like now. It's about what Baylor can and will look like come the tournament. And that's why I'm concerned. I don't want to be robbed of what would have been potentially been one of the all-time great teams because of a COVID pause. Yeah, but so, so, okay. I don't know if this is like, the spiritual awakening in me of the Scott Drew 2020. Yeah, I was waiting for it to come out. Experience. But, I mean, the, the fact that in the first matchup, all night long, like Kansas was getting outclassed, and Jay Billis kept saying, man, like, it seemed like he was having a realization while broadcasting the first matchup that, like, man, Scott Drew's team really doesn't run, like, much offense they just kind of go one-on-one our guy is better than your guy what are you going to do about it you can't really do much for the most part and that has been true all yeah, year long and it's worked and it's worked it also worked in part in that first matchup because kansas was playing very very um lackadaisical defense um to some extent and just like doing a lot of things average on the defensive end which is not the typical way for a bill self team and they've adjusted the weaknesses have become strengths. David McCormick, here's the stat for you. Um, he had 16 total passes out of the post in the month of December, um, according to CJ Moore of The Athletic. Um, now he's mm-hmm. so good at – like last week against Texas, he caught a pass, one-handed touch pass corner three to Ochai at Baji. That de- development – Plus the fact that he just he turned what was a weakness into Kansas's overwhelming strength, and it was a, it's an overwhelming strength that Bill Self thought he was going to have going into the year that they were just going to be able to throw the ball in the post and get a bucket. Kansas can actually do that now, and in the first matchup, uh, Chamwa Chachua kind of took his lunch inside. And, yeah, he bullied him. And in the second matchup, it was the complete opposite effect. McCormick was, I think he started five of five. He was four of four at the free throw line. Like he was eaten early and then he closed out that game too. So I really want to see this matchup play out again. I would also love, um, I don't think, I mean, there's, there's no way we're going to get it because West Virginia is probably going to end up being the three and Kansas is probably going to end up being the two. So what we're probably going to get is a semifinal matchup of those two teams and the winner's probably going to get Baylor in the title game. But I would love to – I'm good with either matchup. Like, if we get Baylor-West Virginia three uh, matchup two because they didn't play um, they didn't play in Waco, or if we get Kansas-Baylor part three in Kansas City next week, like, that's the treat that we deserve after last year not getting a champ week, this year getting so many games canceled. Like, quietly – I know I complained and you you were on my side to some extent about the fact that Baylor <laughs> like wasn't going to play all 18 games. But quietly, Baylor has to end this thing with Oklahoma State tomorrow night and then Texas Tech this weekend before I mean, they go to Kansas City. Doesn't it kind of remind you of last year 
where they stayed undefeated or uh, not undefeated, stayed a one loss team for so long after losing to Washington early. Then they got beat by Kansas and all of a sudden they get upset at TCU and it started to unravel and then COVID happened. And then we, and yeah. And like, we thought it was kind of falling apart. And that's why I think a lot of people uh, at the end, at the I'm end not going to, I'm not going to go there this year, by the way. And some people will, and they will be wrong unless Baylor just doesn't really wake up. But this, I will say though, this week makes me concerned that like one team defending on a string could really end them in the tournament. There aren't a lot of teams that can do that at the level that Kansas did. That's true. And, and lost this weekend, the level of focus, I think it meant something to this team that had a lot of important returning guys that Baylor went into that building last year and a one at the fog for the first time in school history, which is incredible. B beat them the way they did on a nationally televised game on CBS. I think it meant something to this group to come out and defend home floor against a team in Baylor that, I mean, normally Kansas is what Baylor is this year in that league. And I think that meant something to this team. I don't know what's gotten into David McCormick, a guy that I, I said shouldn't play anymore, a guy that you described as the most frustrating player in college basketball. He was. He was. And, he was. and he has been Kansas's best player over this run of wins. Like, for them. like you were not wrong. He was, he was unplayable. They were so much better in their five guard lineups than they were with him on the court. I was not wrong. I had literally never been more frustrated watching a single player ever. And he's done a complete 180. Like, the fact that we're having the conversation of him being the best big in the league, the fact that we're having the conversation that he has played at an all American level over the last month. Yeah. <laughs> and quietly, like he's, I, I don't know how you would argue anything other. Like I had this list of my all big 12 first team. And I just wanted to get your thoughts on it. Cade Cunningham, Jared Butler, Davion Mitchell, Miles McBride, David McCormick. Is that the team? The only one I like. It's weird because you have four lead ball handlers, but I also think that is the team. I mean, the only one I wavered on was Davion Mitchell over like Austin Reeves. Or uh, Mac McClung, maybe. I don't think Mac's been good enough. He's disappeared in too many games. Fair enough. But I mean, I don't disagree with that. Um, overall, though, I will say I, I last night's game, the fact that West Virginia came out and they just, they make enough shots. They're going to like, it's the complete opposite identity of what they've been in the, in years past. Um, and we don't have to go too long on the big 12. Cause I'm sure we'll talk about them during top five Thursday in our list. Um, but they're to beat West Virginia in the tournament this year you are going to have to outscore them rather than out like physical or out tough them in your, like the way in years past, like that John Rothstein tweet of West Virginia tougher than a long weekend at your in-laws. Like that's so outdated at this point. Yeah. I mean, it, they are a very mentally tough team, right? They, they yeah. find themselves in these close games a lot. It's a different kind of toughness. So for Baylor to go up there and muscle out a victory against a team that has shown an aptitude to win this kind of game against this kind of opponent gave me confidence that this team is okay, despite not looking great, despite um, not necessarily looking like the Baylor that we're used to in terms of the level of focus that they were at, in terms of the level of execution and fluidity, like you said, they don't run a lot of uh, set offense, but these guys have played together for so long that they just have a great feel as a unit. That's been gone over these three games back out of the pause. The fact that they still won, I think, is really impressive. Yeah, for sure. And first conference title in 71 years for that school. That's incredible. Incredible. And a credit to Scott Drew. He's finally got something in his trophy case. Uh, it didn't an IT title. It didn't take Juwan Howard that long to uh, get a trophy. I don't know if Michigan has officially locked down the big 10. They more than likely will, 
they did not lock down Illinois when they saw them in an arbor this week. Uh, this was a blowout, to say the least. I think it's the, uh, according to Jacob Burson of ESPN Stats and Info, believe this was the first time a top five team in the AP poll era lost by more than 20 at home ever. 76-53, no Iowa to Sumu, no problem. Talk about Frank Underwood's team. Well, they are – okay, Michigan is currently tied with Illinois for the conference lead. Um, because also, Illinois, I also definitely said Frank Underwood is in uh, House of Cards. Is Yeah, it's his brother. We're cool. Wait, we're rusty. We took Monday off and we're just – Yeah, a COVID pause. Yeah, <laughs> it was – but it no, no fear, no worries. Not, neither of us has COVID. It was just, you know – a, a traveling pause. It is what it is. Um, I I was shocked. I mean, I think everyone was shocked by the result, especially without IO in lineup. I think, um, I think Marty Mush of Barstool Sports, um, he had reported that IO was going to play. People, he did not. People started pounding Illinois money line. Um, and I think Rob Douster said, I hope, I get tip off when Io wasn't playing. Said I hope you guys didn't uh, fall for that non-sourced information, and then turned out <laughs> turned out he probably was a blind sheep that uh, that led everyone to the right spot. So it is what it is, and Illinois ended up winning. I just that's the kind of game that makes me think if I'm Gonzaga, and if I know you wanted to have this conversation, if I'm Gonzaga. And I'm even contemplating not playing in the WCC. Tournament. Yeah, don't do it. Don't no, do no, it. no, 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 completely opposite. Definitely play because if you're going to take time off. The difference is it's one week and Gonzaga has run the table undefeated. And we now know that if you and we'll see if they fuzz the rules for an undefeated Gonzaga team. But we now know that the NCAA tournament has said that if you have COVID, if you are unable to play, if you're unable to get to Indiana, your spot is going to the first team from the NIT that we can call up. So now that they know that, I don't know if it's worth the risk of playing considering it's only one week off. But I, there's been no evidence of on-court transmission, so I wouldn't want to like fear monger in that respect. I'm not saying that either. There is a travel element, though. Yeah, but there's a travel element regardless. So you have to make the trip either way. And if you're not going to play in that conference tournament, I would think, I don't know, but I would think that athletic directors in the conference would say, hey, you don't, you're not getting the revenue distribution from ESPN. And, and Gonzaga doesn't need that. Okay. But to all of those points, from a pure basketball perspective, I'm not rooting for it. I'm just saying it's probably the right thing for them to do. I don't think it is because on the basketball court, if you take a week off, and you're already you're already going to be challenged by the fact that probably whoever you play in your second round matchup in that tournament in the NCAA tournament is going to be as good of a challenge as anyone you've seen in your entire conference slate. And I know that you said that they've played the the non conference slate and they smashed the non conference slate, and all of that is true. But at the to same be fair, point, they've done that before. They, they have done that before. They have done that before. And Not to this level, but they've done it before. And I think that there's a decent amount of evidence that based on this Big Ten schedule, based on this Big 12 schedule for Baylor, what we've seen from Michigan, what we've seen from Illinois, what we've seen from Baylor, all of these teams, if you play good enough teams long enough, barring you having 10 pros like Kentucky did in 2015, you're going to lose at some point. And – Gonzaga needs to challenge themselves and probably needs a game against BYU in the conference title game where there's some game pressure, there's some game intensity against a tournament level team so that they're not like punched in the mouth that first weekend of the tournament. And then they get staggered because. Which won't happen. This team is too good. Okay. If you think they're immune to that, like go ahead, go ahead. I just, I'm not. I'm not ruling out some wild stuff happening over the next. Jalen Suggs is not getting punched in the mouth by anybody. 
I promise you that. That's that's fair. I, I'm just I'm not going to rule out any weird stuff happening in these next three weeks. I mean, the only upside I see to playing it, other than uh, potentially staying, as you said, hot. But again, they're only going to miss a week. I think if you want to talk about what their historical standing would look like if they did go undefeated and won a national title, comparing them to 32-0 and Indiana, which is our only ever undefeated champion, I think that there is some upside in that. Well, they sit at what, 24-0 currently? Yeah, so if they played the WCC – Went undefeated, won the national title, they'd finish 33-0. If they didn't play the WCC, which they're going to, there's no evidence that's that yeah, they, they will be. They they'd end up at 30-0. So they'll barring barring a loss in the NCAA tournament, they're gonna end up right there with the Indiana team, uh, record wise. And I really do hope that this is the last WCC tournament that they play in. It's time for Gonzaga to join a better league. I mean, that's not a one-year switch, though. Why not? Because con- because real-life consequences exist, and you can't just break contracts like that. I, lo- I would love for them to leave, too. I'm, you, are you telling me that you don't think the American would pay the buyout on their TV contract with the WCC to get them in their league immediately? Because I think you're crazy if you don't think that the extra revenue that the American would make – in return, having a team like Gonzaga in their league, a league, by the way, that is faltering badly, a league that will probably be maybe a one max two bid league this year. If you're telling me you don't think that they would do everything in their power to make sure Gonzaga got in to their group of teams immediately, I think you're wrong. I mean, I'm sure that they would. I just don't know. Like, Gonzaga has it pretty good. Like we, most, if not everyone, has given them a free pass for the fact that their league is non-competitive for them. Uh, aside from a rockin' Provo on some random Saturday in February or January every year. Shout out, good guy Mark Pope. And aside from that, they've beaten enough teams in non-conference that everyone they've gotten off the off the schneid of like everybody hating on them. So I. I don't know why they would be searching for another situation. Like Mark Few's got it pretty good. Uh, I would say that there's more out there for Gonzaga. And if they're going to continue to grow their brand and they're going to continue to get five-star guys, which they just got their best recruit ever. They have a really good chance of landing Chet Holmgren, who is I think the number two player, depending on where you look behind Imani Bates. Some people have them number one. That is incorrect. They're in different classes. Well, they're, I mean, Amani, there's a strong chance he reclassifies into this class, but fair point. Um, I think if you're leveling those two players, Amani Bates is significantly better. Oh, yeah. Anyway, if they're going to continue to get guys like that, I think, and given they're doing it currently, they're playing in the WCC, so – Maybe I'm wrong about this, but I think if they're to continue to elevate their profile, they need to move to a bigger conference. Maybe they don't. Maybe they can just dominate uh, against Pacific, but that's just my thought. Like, I would love to see it. My argument is we've given them a pass. We've said every year, you're a one seed, you're a two seed. Players, Jalen Suggs committing to them, going there, is giving them a pass and saying – He's also the first of his kind. Okay, but he – He's the first one to really buy in, but you can't tell me that like Rui Hachimura, guys like that aren't like quality, quality recruits and they're signing off on it. They're signing up for the Gonzaga experience. Like they charter their flights. It's not like they're some rinky dink small school. They're, they're blue blood, fine, but or a new blood. They a are not blood, at least they're a new blood. They're not a blue blood. Get that out of here. You got to win a national title and be a blue blood. At the very, very least, that's a requirement. Um, they are perennially one of the best programs in college basketball. That's true. That's true. And in terms of consistency amongst the elites, they are top five in the sport. You're too willing to give them 
blue blood status. I think blue blood status is if you're good, it's better for the sport. And I honestly think that the sport would be fine if Gonzaga was not good. I will say that. A hot take from Gabe as we move on into pros and cons. We talked a little bit about the American. This segment is about the team that left the American at the altar last year to go home to the Big East. A very satisfying conclusion to that season of television, if you will. Now we are in season two. And we are reaching the summit point of the plot. I don't know where I'm going with this analogy, but uh, James Booknight is back in form. UConn is back. They're just, they're balling out right now, Gabe. Since James Booknight returned a couple weeks ago, they are five and one, one loss coming to Villanova. They look safely in the field as of right now with a, a slew of fairly quality wins against the average teams of the Big East. Most recently, just beat Seton Hall. Big win for them. Before I dive into all the pros and the very few cons, thoughts on UConn? Are they going to the Final Four? Okay, so I have a question for you that I want to pose right back to you. Because every time that UConn wins a game, every single national reporter feels the need to tweet out UConn not a bubble team if James Booknight had played all year long. Like, that's something that we don't know. So, are you, like, woke on and the fact – are you woke on the fact that everyone is, like, so pro-UConn that it could be getting to these guys' heads that they're, like, we've, we've really not proven anything. Like, we beat USC. Shout out USC. But aside from that, how many other tournament teams have we beaten? Are you worried that, like, the hubris has gotten to them? No, because they're winning. And, and listen, if they had had James Booknight all year, like it, it is true that if they had had James Booknight all year, they probably aren't on the bubble. They also still would not have played that many games because of well, the lengthy COVID pause for them in the early part of their schedule. I think they only played five non-conference games. So that all is still there. That's partly why they've not been able to stack up the rinky-dink wins against the dregs of the Big East and the teams that they would have played in their non-conference to pad their resume, pad their record, and be a team that with six losses is looking at like 20 and six, 19, 18 and six, as opposed to where they are right now. Um, got a winning percentage somewhere closer to 60 or 70, right? So I think there is some truth to that, but I also, and I've withheld this throughout the year, them having to play without book night for as long as they did is going to be very good for them in March. And right now that looks like the case as today against the Seton Hall team that was fighting for their lives on the bubble. They had four guys score in the teens. James book night shot four for 13 and they still won handily. And that's because all those other guys developed and grew without the best player on their team available. Cause they had to. It's uh, it's very impressive. I will say I became a bigger RJ Cole fan over the time where he had to kind of carry the team through the book night struggles. I just, and he didn't, by the way, he, he was not that good. He was, he was okay. in that span up and okay. down for sure. Yeah. And he was up and down, which is the reason they were on the bubble because if he was more sturdy, they would have won more games. Um, yeah. I just find it. I, I can, I want to hear more of your pros and cons, but I, I just find it very funny. And I will say, that as we get into March and maybe next week we need to do like a, uh, a list or we can just go through storylines and talking points that the commoner college basketball fan can, can kind of throw out in their, in their watch parties with their friends to make themselves sound smarter because the, the, the most basic bland analysis that you can give at the bar when you're talking with your friends about college basketball this year to want to sound smart, even though it's the same thing that everyone else is going to know is be the guy who's like, you know, if James Booknight had played all year, this UConn team could have been something special. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 let me just continue with the pros because Let's I'm just going to ignore that. Speaking of RJ Cole, he's been balling out. This is a massive pro. He's averaging 16 points per game since the start of February. I think he took a little bit of time to adjust to high major basketball. A guy who scored over 20 points per game had like eight 
assists per game at Howard. That's a big jump. He's now successfully made that jump. He's settled it. Pro, they're really defending teams. They're a long team. Today against Seton Hall, they played, I believe, eight guys. Two of them were below 6'6". That is not common. They aren't a team that's got massive bigs. I mean, the tallest guy they played today was 6'9". But everybody is just in that kind of, we're pretty long, rangy wings that can handle, shoot a little bit, tight mold, and they get after it on the defensive end. Uh, In this little stretch of games that they played over the last two months, their opponents have scored fewer than 62 more times than they scored above 70, and that is very good. That is impressive. And I guess I didn't realize that that was the number. Um, I will just say, like, thinking the way – thinking things through – the more that you watch them, the more that they profile like these UConn teams that make runs. Oh, you're buying in. I mean, I'm buying in. I'm certainly not like picking it to happen, but I will just say like the, the pieces of the puzzle are there. The question is, can Danny Hurley put them all together? You know, like it's, it's one thing to get all the pieces out of the box. It's another thing to get through the process of putting them together. Welcome to the bookmobile, my friend. Okay, here's here are the cons. They're really struggling to score the ball right now in the half court. They also just don't really pass into open shots. It's a lot of isolation basketball. And honestly, a lot of their assist passes are off target and lead to difficult finishes that don't need to be like a lot of them right now, they're 220th in the nation in assists per game, just over 11. Not great. Not great. They could, they could do better there. Um, but given Andre Jackson and book Knight have missed so much time, that kind of makes sense. They're a team that was cobbling things together for so long and they're just trying to reintegrate that hopefully will get better for them. And, the other con I have from this is that sometimes James Book Knight just kind of disappears. Disappears is the wrong word because you definitely notice him because he's shooting a lot, but sometimes he just doesn't make those shots. He went four for 13 in this game. That's been happening pretty frequently lately. Still getting his numbers, but efficiency isn't great. So for them to be at their best, he needs to be shooting a lot closer to 50% than what he shot today. Yeah, but here's the thing. They are – so part of the reason that I would buy in on them for, like, the NCAA tournament is this. A, like you've talked about and you've said this to me plenty, they run in transition and they're good at it when they do it because of book night. Because <laughs> of that, they can get some easy buckets against teams that are going to be better than them. And, like, make no mistake, they're going to have to upset some teams because they're probably going to end up as – an eight, nine, or 10 seed, probably likely. Um, and with that, I just looked at the tempo ratings uh, for the 2014 team. Um, 2014 Connecticut, I'm looking at 2011 now. 2011 Connecticut was 221st in the country in tempo. 2014 Connecticut was 254th in the country in tempo. And this year's team is 311th. So if you slow the game down and you make it lower possession, even though you have an elite lottery level talent in James Booknight, it actually works to your advantage because the rest of your supporting cast, you're asking them to do a lot less if you play fewer possessions. And I think that actually bodes well for some upsets and bodes well for like the UMBC beating Villanova types thing of like, if you can be effective in the shorter possession games, you can put some real game pressure on people. Yeah, I just, I think for them, the pace thing is interesting because they have the athletes to really run if they wanted to. But because of their length defensively, I think part of it is you don't see them having as many possessions in games, right, Gabe? Because teams struggle to enter the ball into the arc against them and run the shot clock down. It's hard to get good shots against them. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think that is a massive credit to Danny Hurley and the defense that he's built paper mache around the bare bones of his personnel. And they've committed to a defensive identity without a real rim protector, which is not something that's always easy to do. And I'm, I'm just continuing to feed you. Just pile, let's pile it on. Let's go. I'm Come on. Continuing to feed you pros. This is a really sad pro, um, but their chances to win the big East in the big East tournament went up significantly tonight because uh, Colin Gillespie hurt his left knee for Villanova. Um, oh. And they're giving him an MRI tomorrow, but Jay Wright said it was serious after the game tonight. Um, and that's either the end of his career at Villanova, which man, he was there for a longer, a longer time than I thought he was. Um, or he'll be back next year, maybe as like a, as you take advantage of his super senior ability. Um, and you hate to see that, but it probably ends any significant run for Villanova, um, barring some miraculous finish. And it opens the door, I guess, for Creighton and for um, UConn to make a run at MSG next week. UConn is back in the garden. The best thing to come out of this year so far. I'm very intrigued to see what your top five Thursday list is and to see if how much the- I'll tell you this that because UConn is playing in the Big East tournament, it is up there. Okay. And that's a nice little segue. Let's do our top five Thursdays as we approach champ week. We've already got some conference championship action going on. I know that you had a very fun time watching Cleveland State in the Horizon League talk about it. Yeah, so I was gonna I was gonna say as we get into top five conference tournaments to watch, um I have to give a shout out to Cleveland State versus Indiana Purdue Fort Wayne, the the Mastodons and the Vikings. Triple overtime game on on Tuesday night. This league, um, I tweeted it from the Heat Check account. That league, it was only a Tuesday night, but that league was the entire league was on drugs. Um Three of the games went to overtime. We had a single overtime game. We had a double overtime game. We had a triple overtime game. We had the only game that didn't go to overtime ended on a tip-in buzzer beater, which sent Detroit packing and made you sad because the leading scorer in the country uh, has been eliminated and can't make the NCAA tournament, can't make um, even to the Horizon League championship game. And in all of this process um, – I learned who Al Eichelberger Jr. was um, as he banked in a three to send the game to Triple OT. So they're not in my top five list, but I certainly will be tuning in next Monday for the semifinals. And I haven't figured out when the um, championship game is, but I would assume it'd be Wednesday or Thursday night next week. And very much looking forward to it if if it's Cleveland State um, because – I understand that there's a lot of people who just want to see chaos happen and want to see all hell break loose and eight and 14 IUPFW would have been a fun story for them to have beaten um, Cleveland state and to see Milwaukee beat Wright state, who was the number one or number two seed. I don't remember what what it was after right. Milwaukee was down 45 to 69 and won the game. Nice. That's insane. They lost or is the 69 and still won. No, they won the rate. Oh yeah. 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 Okay, yeah. I was about to say, did they go on a, what, 24 to nothing run? No? No, 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 no. Yeah, they definitely lost the race to 69, but they still ended they up. They won the game. And they and they had a buzzer beater three to send the game into OT. The whole league was just nuts. Keep your eye on the Horizon League. I know Nick Hodel will be. I will be as well. You will You will be. You're woke on it now. Um, <laughs> it was worth the price of my ESPN Plus subscription for the entire year just to be able to watch that game. With that, let's 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 do a list. Also, shout out Al Eichelberger Sr., mm-hmm. who retweeted our De- tweet of his son making the shot. Definitely, definitely love that because that just means that his dad, like, literally just name searched his son's name on Twitter. And just retweeted everything. <laughs> just follow at HeatCheck underscore show. Going to be doing a lot of cool stuff on Twitter. Approaching the NCAA tournament, including live streams, a bunch of other fun things coming your way there. But yeah, let's do it. Let's do the top five conference tournaments that we are looking forward to. 
Gabe, I will start with you. I will start with number five. Okay, my number five is actually a tie. I'm being a coward, but I couldn't couldn't decide it because I think that these two leagues are the same league. Perception-wise, very different nationally. But in actuality, if you look closely, if you watch both leagues, um, and if you have two functioning sets of eyes, ACC and the Pac-12, I'm putting them in a tie for fifth because – the ACC is what people think the Pac-12 is, if that makes sense. Not a lot of very good teams, a lot of decent teams, a lot of teams that are, eh, can kind of be fun to watch, some teams that are very frustrating to watch, and some very good personalities that you love to see. So, Gabe, Gabe what do you think the odds are that the ACC or Pac-12 puts a team in the Final Four? Zero percent. Oh, wait. Florida State could get there. So I'll put it at like 2.5% chance. <laughs> That's not a very good indictment on either league, I don't think. Yeah, but but the thing is, people are going to give the ACC seven bids and give the Pac-12 four. And I'm like, the fair thing would probably be to go six and five. Although, to the Pac-12's sake, they don't have Arizona, so... I will say, though, both of these leagues, part of the biggest intrigue is can Stanford or ASU go on a run and steal a bid, and can Duke or Syracuse um, go on a run and steal a bid? So that also add, that's why I'm like they're both at five because they are the same tournament in my eyes. And for that reason, that is why I have the Pac-12 on this list. I think, you know, obviously with the ACC – we're going to get North Carolina and Duke this week, part two. So that will go a long way in determining whether Duke is really on the bubble or not. On Selection Sunday, North Carolina with their win over Florida State, which we haven't talked about yet on the weekend, they're in, I think, barring a loss to Duke in despicable fashion at home at the Dean Dome and then a first-round exit. In the ACC tournament, I see no way in which they do not play in the tournament after getting that win. So there you go. I will say this of the ACC. I'm interested in virtually no team in that league other than Georgia Tech and Duke in the conference tournament. That's why, they didn't, that's why they didn't make my list. You're not intrigued. Okay, that's fair. You're not intrigued at all by Florida State. Do you not no, see what they're? I don't think there is. After watching them against UNC, I think there is no real national championship upside. I don't think there's Final Four upside. I think that team's getting upset. Like, I mean, letter to Hamilton teams don't get upset. They also don't go that far in the tournament. They get to the second weekend sometimes, but they never really push to get to that Final Four. I don't think Florida State's a team that can do that this year. So you would say 0% chance. Well, you. Is your 2.5% chance between the ACC and Pac-12 is, is it to the Oregon? Definitely Dutch? Oregon. It's definitely Oregon. <laughs> and it's more like a 5% chance. But – Okay. Yeah, I know okay. you looked at me like that. I just believe in the mighty ducks of Oregon who thumped UCLA today, by the way, up in Eugene. Oh, they turned it around. I didn't see the second half. I didn't see the second uh, half. Yeah, I think they won by double digits. Okay. So – I'll go to my fourth. Wait, hold on. I never oh, – okay. uh, the Pac-12. I, the okay, Pac-12 okay. at five – because, as you said, I think there are several teams that are going to be in the field. Although UCLA is trying their hardest not to make it. No, they're safely in. They're safely in, but they have not played well as of late. Colorado's in, UCLA's in, USC's in, and I think Oregon is probably locked in, right? There are also two of the most underperforming teams in the country in Stanford, who, given, has been through a ton this year not getting to play in their own building because of the health regulations where they are in California, having to deal with injuries to Zaire Williams to Dejon Davis. They are finally back to some semblance of health. So they can make a run of the tournament with one of their most talented teams in about 15 to 20 years. Yeah. We just need the, we need the Stanford team of the Maui Invitational to re-show up. Yes, absolutely. And, of course, Arizona State, 
I mean, we've already talked about it at nauseum. They're maybe going to get Marcus Bagley back for this game. Remy Martin is playing out of his mind. I think the 20-point scoring streak is at eight now after the buzzer beating win um, against Washington State over the weekend. That For that reason, uh, this conference tournament is very fun to me. I mean, it the the scenario that I know the two of us are certainly uh, hoping for would be it would give me more work to do. Um, it would give me a team to cover for longer this year um, is if the Remy Martin like 20 point streak just continues. I mean, he, if he gets one, he gets 20 points tonight being Thursday against Colorado. I think he ties Brandon Roy. Um, his like, I think he had nine game streak at Washington back in 06 or whatever it was. So it'd be interesting. I just hope, hope Remy can continue the streak because you know, both of us would like to see his college basketball career not end, and a lot of people would too. So, I, well, I it think might not. Of, it might not this year, according to some of the comments he made this week. But, continue. but then, but then Bobby Hurley was like, "Yeah, he he needs to go make some money." So, I unless unless like everything fails, I don't think he'll be there. All right, number four. This one I know is going to make you very very happy. My fourth is the A10. Oh, I thought I was going to be the only one to put him on my list. Okay, so I'm putting him at at four because it can't be higher than that because there's not going to be enough like crazy games that I want to want to watch. But just based on the fact that I know that the, that both semifinals and the final will be must watch. I'm they're putting, I'm putting this on my list because St. Bonaventure, you can make a case. They probably should be in the tournament. Um, St. Louis, you can make a decent case. Dayton's a fun team to watch. Um, Richmond's a fun team to watch Rhode Island, all these different teams, whatever we end up with in the semifinals is probably going to be two teams. I even forgot VCU probably going to be two teams that are fighting for bids who don't know for sure that they're in and really, really, really need to get to that final to solidify things. And then once you're in the final, it's who wants to be in and who wants to have to sweat out Sunday of selection Sunday. So it's going to be an elite tournament. Um, there's going to be some very good basketball to be played and the losers, the teams that end up on the wrong side are probably going to be noisemakers in the NIT. I would say that's fair. I mean, St. Joseph's won the day today beating LaSalle 72 to 66. That, that was a fun one. You got Duquesne and Richmond tomorrow. I don't know how Richmond ended up as the eight seed in this league coming into the year as a top 25 team. Um, I, it's interesting. St. Bonaventure was maybe somebody out there was wise to the Bonnies. I don't think anybody picked them to win this league prior to the year. People were excited about the A-10. was not because of St. Bonaventure. It was because of – Woj did. Of course Woj did because he went there. <laughs> um, uh, people were excited about Richmond. People were excited about St. Louis. Uh, people such as myself were excited about Dayton. Some about Davidson. Nobody about St. Bonaventure. And they're the only team that's got a chance to make it as an at-large, and that's fascinating to me. I think it's a one-bid league, personally. I think there are teams in this league that are good enough to be in the tournament that just didn't do enough this year. And because of that, you're going to get a tournament atmosphere in the last couple of rounds in of this conference tournament. So for that reason, if you want to figure out which sexy 11, 12 you want to pick, watch this conference tournament. There are six different teams in my mind that could win this league and that I would be excited about them winning this league tournament. And oh, that, absolutely. And that's why I think it's fascinating because I'm not going to – like one specific team losing is not going to make me turn the channel off and stop watching this these tournaments. So I think we both have them at four there, right? What what yeah, we do. Watch it be a, a George Washington St. Joseph's final. That would be elite. I would not be a fan of that. I mean, at that point, St. Joe's would be, I think, seven, seven and like fifteen or whatever, going for a bid. Be nuts. And you know It'd probably be a bid stealing situation because BCU or St. Bonaventure is probably going to the first four at that in that situation, taking a trip to Assembly Hall. Um, my number three 
It just means more. I'm putting mm. the SEC as my number three. So I think that this is one of the most fun leagues in the country to watch. It's one of the most high-scoring leagues in the country. Um, SEC basketball is like Big 12 football um, of the years past in the sense that there's – running and gun, baby. Not always the best defense, although Alabama – efficiency numbers uh would say otherwise they just play at a crazy tempo i'm hoping that we get arkansas alabama part three i would love to see alabama play lsu again just so that they can jack 43s and see what happens um and at the other time we're gonna get we could get a, a rematch of a fantastic mizzou florida game that we had tonight um there's just so many intriguing um storylines and Maybe we get Kentucky making a run. I mean, Ole Miss is very hot right now as well. Aside from when they, you know, are losing to Vanderbilt. But (laughs) shout out, anchor down. There's a lot going on in this league. I I don't think we'll see Sharif Cooper, which sad, but I don't know why with no tournament opportunity on the line why he would put himself at stake given he's going to be a high NBA draft pick. I Like you said, I want to watch Kentucky. I want to see what the hell Tennessee does because I don't know what to think about them at all. Um, Florida may or may not still have a little bit of work to do. There's a lot going on here, and it will be a very, very fun tournament to watch throughout. Even the bad games you just know are going to be like drugged up. To you oh yeah oh yeah well like, and then like um you can turn on georgia Ole miss and tell me neither of those teams is a tournament team maybe Ole miss is um but gonna be a hell of a game and then can arkansas continue to do what they're doing that's the other big because i mean we haven't even talked about lsu who's probably gonna be fighting for their tournament lives as well a team that's more than talented enough to definitely be there Arkansas could sneak on like the three line if they went out and win the SEC tournament. I don't think that's crazy at all. They're there right now, according to most bracket people. So they could sneak onto the two line. Could they be the highest seeded team out of the SEC over Alabama? That's impossible to you. It it wouldn't make any sense to me. Like resume. What if they beat Alabama? If they beat Alabama again, I could see it, but we'll see. We'll see. It'll be interesting because the one thing you can't count out is that like there were fans at most, if not every SEC school this year. And I don't think Vanderbilt allowed any. Vanderbilt did not. That makes plenty of sense. Um, Arkansas definitely had fans. Arkansas fans definitely had somewhat of an influence on that Alabama game last week. Um, we'll see. I think the schools are getting distributed, getting to distribute tickets. Um, it's not like a general admission type situation, but I think I read 3,400 people. Um, and I think it's in Nashville again this year. I just very excited for this tournament. I know that there's going to be some fun, fun games in this tournament. I don't know. I still believe in you, South Carolina. The time is now. (laughs) Um, so that puts me at number three now, correct? Yes. I'm going to go with the big East here. And there is one reason. And it's UConn back in the garden. I care to explain not anymore. There really isn't a lot going on in this league this year other than Creighton, Villanova, and UConn in terms of teams that are going to make it as an at-large. Maybe St. John's makes a run. Maybe Marquette makes a run. Maybe Seton Hall makes a run. I don't know. I don't much care. I just want to see UConn in the garden. This is the situation of like your favorite band is playing and the opening act sucks, but you don't care at all. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. I mean, this is the 10 year anniversary of cardiac Kemba and they're back in the garden and it's James book Knight's turn. How did I not even realize that? Yeah. Do you feel old now? That means we're like five days away from the ESPN tweet of like 10 years ago today. And it's- it was, it was March 16th, 2011 cardiac Kemba step back at the buzzer. People don't remember that. That wasn't, I mean, the game against Syracuse was the crazy one 
that one was insane. Winner at the buzzer over Pitt, who is the number three team in the country. That was when Pitt was like really good. If you can believe a day and age where that was the case, but uh, yeah, no, I, the, the time is right. I'm I'm ready to see this. I've been excited to see this since the news um, was announced. However long ago that was that they were going back to the Big East. I guess that was this year. Yeah. So I'm so very excited for that. All right, my number two is the Big Ten because we're gonna get Iowa versus Luca. Um, at least I hope we get get that. We can get Dickinson versus Kofi. We get all these top ten teams. We've got all these teams that people his own. We've got Tom Izzo making a run in March, and we're probably gonna get to see the last chapter of the sad Marchie Miller story. Um, so that could also be, got welcome to the Izone this week. That that could be. Um, I think I saw Indiana was the 10 seed. Maybe they're the 11 because Northwestern beat Maryland tonight um, in Evanston. But either way, I'm very intrigued to see how the whole Indiana thing ends because I was going to save this for scholarships and sanctions, but I'm just going to say it now. If you're a senior at Indiana, you went all four years without seeing your team go to the NCAA tournament. That's sad. And that's why Archie Miller deserves yeah. it. Because no – no senior, nobody should ever go to Bloomington, Indiana and go four years without seeing that school, that program, make an NCAA tournament. That is a fireable offense. Yeah, I'm with you. I actually left the uh, Big Ten off my list. Su- shock, surprise. The reason I did that was purely to get the Big East on my list. You probably didn't have any right being there. I'm glad I did, though, because... Now we actually have a little bit of discrepancy uh, between the two of us. I have the SEC here. We already talked about all the reasons kind of why when we talked about them and number three for you, so I won't belabor the point. Okay, I like that. I understand you being anti-Big Ten. I mean, there's going to be some boring games, but hopefully – like. That's the one tournament that I'm not going to root for upsets in because I want to see the big time. Yeah, the elites. Let yeah. me let me ask you this. Do you think, and this is leading up to it, Michigan State and Michigan are set to play twice this week. Do you think Michigan sweeps? I certainly do not think Michigan State wins in Ann Arbor tomorrow. But, and this is such a cop-out. I would love to see how the first one goes before I predict the second one. No, you don't get But I think that, I will say this. The one in Ann Arbor will be decided by less than five, or the one in East Lansing will be decided by less than five points. Okay. Okay. I'll, I'll give you that. I'll give you that. Number one for Gabe is going to be the same as number one for me. I am almost certain. Yes. It's the big 12. Yeah. I think our reasons will be different. So I wrote down five reasons. Um, well, one of them is kind of an, an encompassed by the next three points. It's a guard-heavy conference, which makes for more one-on-one moments at the end of games, which is just an aesthetic thing. But we know this. If you watch Texas Tech basketball this year, you know that there's going to be a Mac McClung moment. If you watch West Virginia basketball this year, you know that there's going to be a Miles McBride moment. If you watch Baylor basketball this year, yeah. you know there's going to be either a Jared Butler right. or a there more fadeaway game winners in this conference tournament than any other one in the country. And if one of them falls, it's going to be nuts. And I know that there also will be fans in Kansas city and what you want about the health and the safety and everything. I'm not like how you say that mockingly. What do you mean? No, no, no. Like I'm saying health and the safety and whatever, but no, no, no. People can, I understand (laughs) people who are anti it. I, right. People who are like, eh, it's not, it's not very safe, um, but it certainly makes for a better atmosphere, and that is part it's of. Like, the- I'm not going. I will be watching at home. I want a better product, says Gabe Schwartz. <laughs> My TV will certainly be on. Um, <laughs> and one of my other reasons, I would hope that we get McCormick versus Culver Part Three. Yeah, those games have been awesome. I, I think you're right. With everything you said, I, I think the reason that I want to see this conference tournament is much simpler. What does Baylor look like? 
biggest question in the country by far. Are they closer to what they were, which is a team that should win this conference tournament handily? They were not playing games within single-digit margins before the COVID pause against really good teams. Or are they closer to what they've been, which is a team that could get upset in the first weekend? Real underrated part about this league tournament is that we could get – there's a pretty good chance that – I mean, there's not a pretty good chance there's going to be – this is what's going to happen. A ranked team is going to be playing on Wednesday night in the 7 versus 10 matchup, and it's it's not because any of them had a bad season. I mean, unless it ends up being Texas, which I don't – I haven't looked at the tiebreakers. I don't know if that's possible. If it's Oklahoma State or Texas Tech and one of the two just goes in and – kills iowa state um it's only going to add to their win total it's only going to add to their tournament resume and honestly it's going to be a better thing for the league so that's very good um i already i mentioned all these good reasons and i didn't say Cade cunningham and i didn't say texas and shaka smart falling apart uh-huh. that's just more reason for you to watch the league it's going to be incredible it's gonna be so good and i i envy anyone who has a ticket um, all day on Thursday or all or the session on Friday because those are going to be special matchups. All right, rapid fire scholarships and sanctions. All right, scholarship number one uh, goes out to puns um, for the great state of Kansas <laughs> because there are so many puns that people are going to be able to do after KU signed ESPN's number 21 player in the class of 22. Oh, my gosh. Grady Dick. Um, shout out that guy, Sunrise Christian Academy in Wichita. He's a product of that. I'm hoping, well, I, I honestly kind of hope this doesn't happen because I would love to see Christian Brown make it to the NBA after next year, make the jump. But if Christian Brown comes back as a senior at that point, I think both of us would probably have him on preseason All-American expectations for him. But if he is a senior on that team, um, Grady Dick will be a freshman, and that's just so much shooting on that team. It would be incredible. So scholarship puns. Uh, I know Kansas Twitter was going off tonight. Sanction to Tom Izzo. I don't get it. How are you going to beat Indiana twice, beat Illinois, beat Ohio State, and mixed in there, you lose to Maryland? Why? That's it. Didn't make, oh my God. didn't make any sense. Um, scholarship for me, youth. I don't know if you saw this. Kentucky's state Senate passed a bill 36 to nothing. It wasn't even close. Youth. Allowing high school seniors to stay for another year of school and play sports. That's so unnecessary. Okay. Okay. Very on brand. Yeah. Very on brand. Um, I mean, that's the peak. And then my last thing, sanctioned to Jim Beheim. Uh, he said that he was making fun of a reporter who said that uh, I think it was, I don't know. I don't remember the name. Um, he writes for the athletic and he went to the university of Syracuse or went to Syracuse university whatever, whatever, um, and said that Imperial they journalism school. Yeah. Said that they should have made a lineup change earlier in the year. And if they did, they wouldn't be on the bubble. And Jim said, um, I guess I should have been listening to the opinions of a five, two guy who's never played basketball at a level that I care about. So don't talk to Jim Beheim unless you're six feet tall and have played basketball before. Yeah. I wouldn't. He's an angry old guy. He is, and they're not very successful, although they did whack Clemson today. All right, that's been the show. That's the buzzer. Heat check. Uh, it's tournament time, people. We have brackets. We'll catch you next week. Heat check is that time. Sunday or a Monday, you know that we flex. True. You can never make it more obvious. You checking for the heat, that's cold. That's cold, that's cold. to the top of the top of this. You can never reach these hoes. Hop in the booth and we spin the truth. Aye. We inspire the youth and we get to the loop. You do what it does and we do what it do. We turn to the max and they got you on mute. You. Ooh, flow so high, so you know Aye. I had to run it back. Blazes apart and we run it like a running back. Gabe brought chalk, so you know Aye. we have it from with that. Turn you in the off, so you know Aye. we ain't no coming back. Now we done with that. <laughs>